Good morning, Southwest. And welcome to Encounter. You guys, this is uh, the first time in the history of Southwest that we have ever uh, done something like we're doing this morning, which is to have uh, all of our student body listening to the same message at the same uh, time in two different locations. So those of you in the gym, welcome. And uh, this is the first time where uh, this semester for us, all of us are doing the same, t same thing at the same time, uh, other than when we had our... our uh, on-campus retreat at the beginning of the year. So I'm excited uh, to celebrate our fall focus. For those of you guys that don't know what this is or what this is about, if you're a transfer or if you're a freshman, in the fall we typically take um, a topic um, and we spend a full week addressing it. Normally it begins with the day of prayer, which um, if some of you have, have inquired about that and uh, that will not be happening due to just logistical concerns, but uh, we usually begin with the day of prayer and then talk about our topic and then have a conversation about it usually in discipleship groups. So our topic this week, uh, this is actually coming from the speaker that we're having with us today, Keith Farron. Keith uh, joined us many years ago. Uh, I was contacted and people said, you've got to have Keith out to speak because uh, he's amazing. He's a great guy. He's the real deal. And also, um, uh, yeah, he's incredibly genuine, passionate. And also the way he speaks to this topic is a way that like a lot of people just can't. And um, due to his own story, which he'll share uh, with us this morning. So Keith's going to speak. Uh, Keith is an, uh, a, sp a speaker, communicator, speaks to entrepreneurs and churches uh, all over the country and has been doing this for some time. He's coming all the way from Seattle. Um, and while he's here, he's actually speaking at a number of um, universities in the area as well as churches. And we are just excited and pumped that he would uh, take a stop to join us. And he's going to speak uh, what he often speaks on, and he'll have some resources for you guys available at the end of today and tomorrow. It's not just reading your Bible, but enjoying it. That's his passion. And so I'm super thrilled to have him here with us uh, to talk to us about his journey, his story, and encouraging and inspiring us. If you guys would pray with me uh, this morning, we'll welcome him. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word, that you are present and you are not silent. Lord, I know there's, um, there's so many voices, so many distractions, so many messages we get from so many different avenues of culture, family, friends, so many inputs in our life, and we often neglect your word neglect truth. We neglect the very thing that's best for us. Just pray this morning you'd uh, forgive us for the ways in which we've erred and slacked and not taken care of that which you've given us, namely ourself, by not turning to truth. Um, and I pray this morning, God, that you would give us open minds and hearts to receive what it is that you want to inspire us with and speak to us with, to encourage us where, God, we're on the right trajectory and to convict us when we're not. I pray that you would use Keith this morning in his words to speak to not just our minds, but our hearts, that you'd protect us in this space and in the gym and our building this morning from the enemy and his messages and distractions, that we'd be able to receive your word. We pray this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys could please welcome with me Keith Farron. All right. Hi. Yeah, from Seattle, so people have been asking me as I've been traveling around if Seattle is still there after all that's been going on the last couple months, and yes, but barely, I would say. <laughs> In the, today and tomorrow, we'll be hanging out together, 
And in this time that we've got, I've got one really simple but huge goal. The next time that you read your Bible, I want you to like it more. <laughs> That's it. I, you, you, you learn at this school, there's so much about studying the Bible, unpacking it. You've got so much that you're immersed in. I mean, what a blessing. This place is amazing. As I travel around, by the way, this, this whole place, this is one of the coolest Christian schools I think I've ever been in. This place is unbelievable. And, and But I know that for me, when I was your age, the Bible was something that I believed was true, and I believed that I should read it more. But it wasn't ever something that I actually enjoyed. And in fact, as I spent the first 25 years of my life with Jesus, and now as I've spent the last 25 years talking to people about the Bible and how to read it, how to study it, how to enjoy it, that it's something that I find that the Bible is the one aspect of our life with Jesus that is marked more by the word should than want. That when it comes to other aspects of our journey with Jesus, we would use the word want. We, we want to sing and worship together. We want to go to youth group. We want to go to summer camp. We want to go on mission trips. We want to hear good preaching and teaching. We want to be in community together. And then somebody brings up the Bible, and we go, yeah, I should read that more. I should probably be more consistent than I am. I should probably know it better after being at this Christian school for a long time and being around the church my whole life. And The Bible is the one aspect that is more of a should than a want. And I find that, that whether somebody's been a Christian for a year or a decade or 50 years, I find that as I travel around the world, for most people... The Bible is the one aspect that is the should. And the reason that I can make a statement that I can say, in these next two days, I want to help you take one or two or three, at least the next step to move from should to want, is because I can actually point to the day. I, can, I, I know the date when I started moving from should to want. It was before any of you were born. It was April 18th of 1993. I had grown up in the church. I, had, I, I was one of those kids. You didn't even really have to drag to church. I actually liked church. We moved around a ton. I lived in about four different places before I was in high school. And, uh, but we always plugged into churches. And I, and I liked church just fine and always was involved in Sunday school and youth group and all those kinds of things. Summer camp, I always liked that. After, after high school, I went to college, was involved in worship ministry, led a student-led worship night every Wednesday night, was part of that, loved Jesus, found that I was still super inconsistent with Bible reading. I felt like I should do it. And then after college, I didn't feel like growing up, so I became a youth pastor. And, and I was a youth pastor for six years, and it was during that season of time, during that season from 91 to 97. It was April of 93. A few days before April 18th, I was having lunch with a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at another church in town. 
And he said, he, as we're talking over lunch, he just said, Keith, I don't know what to make of this. There's this guy who's coming to our church Sunday night, and he's memorized the entire Gospel of Luke. And he gets up on stage with no sets, no props, no costumes, no other actors and actresses, and he just quotes it. And while he quotes it, he kind of acts it out. <laughs> well, as you might imagine, the first thought that went through my head was, dude, that's a lot. <laughs> the second, which I actually said out loud, was, are people really going to listen to that for two hours? I mean, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful or sacrilegious or anything, but my idea about what memorized, quoted scripture sounded like brought me back to my elementary school days growing up in central Kansas where once a year really frightened eight-year-olds would stand up in front of a big church and one at a time really frightened eight-year-olds would go. John 3.16, For God told the world that he gives one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but I have eternal life. John 3.16. Yes. Right. And then, and then the next kid would get up. John 3.16, for God's love of the world! He gave his one up! Hi, Mom! <laughs> you know, anybody ever seen this happen? There is this total disconnect for me between memorized, quoted scripture and good drama. You know, but I figured if somebody could make it somewhat interesting, it would be this guy. His name is Bruce Kuhn, and he had been in the Broadway cast of Les Mis, which, <laughs> rumor has it, is above average. And... <laughs> And so I went that Sunday night with, honestly, no great spiritual motivation. I, I went to support my buddy who was on staff at the church and to see if somebody could do it. I mean, I'd never heard of anything like this. And the best way that I can describe what happened for me that night is the living Word of God went from being a phrase to a reality. And I find as I travel around the world, for most people, the living word of God is a phrase that they desperately wish was a reality. It has nothing to do with whether people believe it's true or not. But believing something's true and believing something's alive are two very different things. And so I had planned on leaving at intermission, but I and not, not only stayed through the whole thing, but they mentioned at intermission that Bruce was going to be in town from New York uh, the whole week doing different presentations. They didn't mention anything about Monday. So I just went up to him afterwards and I just said, hey, can I take you to lunch tomorrow? I'd love to pick your brain a little bit. And he said, sure. And I picked him up at noon and dropped him back off at his hotel at 9 p.m. Spent the whole day together. And this guy just started talking about the Bible differently from anybody I'd ever heard before. He started saying some things like, well, what if instead of studying this little bit and then this little bit and then this little bit and then memorizing this verse and this verse and this verse and this verse, he said, what if you just took a book of the Bible? You just took a large chunk of Scripture and you just soaked in it until you knew it. You just hung out there until you know it. And when you know it, you move on. <laughs> and I remember thinking my whole life, I've heard about studying the Bible and memorizing verses. I've never heard anybody talk about soaking in it or hanging out with it. So I took him up on his challenge. You know, he had done Luke. I want to do something different. So I chose Philippians. 
and I just read Philippians every day. My commandment, I was going to read Philippians every day for the summer of 93. And so I just read Philippians. And then the next day I read Philippians again. And the next day I read Philippians again. And it, it was only like day two or three when I realized that for the first time in my life, I was reading this letter the way that you would actually read a letter. Right? Anybody in here ever heard that Philippians is a letter? Right? <laughs> it's not, brand, not, not shocking news. Now, we know that it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, let's just pretend for a second that you get home from school today and there's an actual letter, like a handwritten letter from somebody in the mail that you haven't seen in a few years. And you open it up and a four-page handwritten letter fell out. And the first line on page one is, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy. Now, would you read page one and then go, whew, I'm spent. I better save page two for tomorrow. Because I had read Philippians before, but it had always been a four-day deal. Why? Anybody know why? It's four chapters. A chapter a day keeps the devil away. Right? I mean, I don't know. That's why I was, I was raised that you're supposed to read a chapter a day. You're supposed to read a chapter, think about what it means, how it applies to your life, and the next day you're supposed to read the next chapter. And I've now come to believe there's no faster way to ever bore someone out of ever being consistent in Bible reading than to tell them to read a chapter a day. It's, I mean, it's better than not reading at all, but it, it's a terrible way to build a lifelong enjoyable habit of being in God's Word. And I, and I found as I was soaking in Philippians, as I was reading, because Philippians is like 15 minutes. To read Philippians out loud at a normal rate of speed takes about 15 minutes. So I was reading Philippians, reading Philippians, reading Philippians. And over the course of that summer, I realized I started feeling differently about the Bible. I started looking forward to it. I started remembering it. I started making connections from one place to the other. I got to the end of the summer, and I was driving down the street thinking through Philippians and realized I had just gone about three paragraphs without making a mistake. And I thought, <laughs> memorizing Scripture without trying. I like this. This is good. <laughs> you know, because I had memorized Scripture before, but it was like when I was a kid, and it was really hard to do, but usually I persevered because there was typically candy involved. So <laughs> I would just suck it up. But, as I, but I realized toward that end of that summer that I actually hadn't memorized Philippians. I had internalized it. It was now a part of me. I knew it, and it and I knew the words. I, it, it was that summer of 93, I actually stopped using the word memorization and started using the word internalization because I think the goal should be to know the word, not just to know the words. Just because we can quote it does not mean that, the, that we've hidden it in our heart in such a way that the Holy Spirit can tap into it whenever He wants and He can transform us using His word to be more like Jesus. And we... I mean, to, to be blunt, if you look at the recorded conversation between Jesus and Satan, Satan's doing some Scripture quoting. 
I don't think he's being transformed to be more like Jesus. So I'm not saying getting the words in the right order is unimportant. I'm just saying it is not the starting point, and it is certainly not the end goal. I think we should make a point to know the word. I think what God calls us to is to internalize so that we can meditate on Scripture as he talks all throughout Scripture on, so that Scripture can, transform, be, can be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right? There's, there's so much in there. And I, and I wanted, I, I, I got to the end of that summer and I, and I found that, that Scripture was coming into my mind. I understood what meditating on Scripture was all about because I could actually think about the Bible at times other than when I had my Bible with me. When I was just out in the world and my, my eyes or my mind would go where they shouldn't go, the Holy Spirit would thump me on the back of the head and say, okay, Keith, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Actually, we're starting to get it. And so, I, wanted, I, I realized toward the end of that year, I, this was such a powerful, kind of transforming three to six months for me that I, I decided I wanted to know the life of Jesus like that. And so, in 94, I made one New Year's resolution, and that was to internalize the Gospel of John. I wanted to know the gospel. I wanted to know the life of Jesus the way that I knew Philippians. I wanted Jesus' life to just kind of saturate my heart and my mind. And so I just started reading John. I just read John, read John. Why, you know, some days I would read for 15 minutes. Some days I'd read for an hour. Some days, most days I'd read for about 20 to 30 minutes. But wherever I got to, I, you know, when I didn't have time anymore, I would just put a bookmark in it, and when I got to the end of chapter 21, I would flip back 25, 30 pages, and I would just start over. And I just read John for a year, just soaking in John. And some things happened. One, Bruce came back into town, because this was now a year later, and I picked him up, because we were going to go have lunch again, and and I said, hey, guess what I'm doing? He said, what? I said, I'm learning the Gospel of John. He said, really? And I said, yeah. He said, well, do a couple chapters for me. And I said, what? Because <laughs> remember, he was a Broadway actor man, and I was an idiot youth pastor dude who'd never been in a school play. <laughs> never, and he wanted me to act for him. And so I did a couple chapters for him, and he said, uh, I think that you could do this. I think that, that you could do with the Gospel of John what I've done with the Gospel of Luke. You know. And so I kind of put that on the back burner for a little bit but it was always just sitting there and when I would have opportunities to speak whether because I was a, I was a youth pastor at a small church plant so it was me and it was the pastor so if the pastor was sick or he was on vacation I was preaching so I was preaching from the time I was like 22 years old and um, and now starting in 94 anytime that I would be preaching rather than reading the scripture I would just tell the story and I remember the event that happened that shifted me from being in full-time youth ministry to what it is that I do now for writing and speaking, helping people enjoy the Bible. I was speaking at, uh, at, my, at my home church. I was preaching on John 9, 
which is a story of a blind man healed with spit and mud, that whole thing. We'll actually hear that tomorrow. We'll spend some time looking at the Gospel of John tomorrow. But, uh, but rather than reading the Scripture and then preaching my sermon, I just told that one story, and then I preached my sermon, and when it was all over, I'm standing around after church talking to people, and one of my high school seniors, a gal named Nicole, came up to me, and Nicole said something I'll never forget. She said, Keith, I hope that someday when I read my Bible, it sounds to me the way it sounds to you. And at the time, it was like, oh, thanks, Nicole, that's really nice. And I'm driving home from church that day, and the Holy Spirit's just slapping me around. <laughs> just going, are you paying attention? You've got a 17-year-old girl who wants to read her Bible differently. It has nothing to do with your preaching ability, by the way. <laughs> she heard the word, and it came alive in a new way. And so in... March of 96, almost 25 years ago, I got on a stage, actually just a little bit smaller than this one, at a church in North Seattle, and shared the Gospel of John. And I've had to do it ever since because, because it no longer sounded the same to me. It no longer sounded like in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning, through Him all things. It didn't sound like that anymore. It sounded a little bit more like in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to all mankind was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, The man who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side and is Himself God, has made Him known. Amen? It's the first 18 verses of John. I'm going to ask a favor. Is there, any, is there any way that we could turn the house lights on? Like even with masks and everything like that, I just can't see any eyes at all. And 
I'd love to, um, I'd love to just be able to, some of those weird speakers who would rather just have the house lights all the way up and just see people and, you know, if you are smiling under your mask, like blink at me or something, I don't know, do something. <laughs> I can tell you that uh, this last six months of being a speaker for a living is like the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> to, to look at people that you can't tell uh, what they're doing. But, uh, but this, as I would, for me, since my background was not theater, my background was not drama, it was not something that I ever thought of kind of getting into one-man theater. It was something where, for me, the storytelling has always been about starting a conversation about how do we move from should to want? How do we start to enjoy the Bible? Because I can tell you that until we have that conversation, we will always kind of live in the land of should. I, I found when I was growing up, and most churches, I find, have three conversations about the Bible. The first conversation is the basic conversation. What is the Bible? Is it true? Is it God's word? Should we read it? There's the basic conversation. Then there's the second conversation, which is what I would call the, the technical or reliability conversation, the um, apologetics conversation. How did we get translations? How do we know that what we have in English is accurate and reliable from what was in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic? And can we trust it? And what's up with translations? Why are there so many? How is the Bible unique and different from the Quran or the Book of Mormon or other spiritual texts? Kind of that reliability conversation. And then the third conversation is where we spend most of our time. That's the practical conversation. The Does the Bible make any difference Sunday afternoon through Saturday night? That's where we spend. What I found is you can say yes to all three of those. Yes, it's God's word, it's true. Yes, what we have is reliable and we can trust it. And yes, it's practical, it makes a difference. And we can still spend most of our life in the land of should until we have the fourth conversation, which is the conversation I've been trying to have with schools and universities and churches and individuals and families for 25 years, and that is, do you enjoy it? Because until you find a way of reading the Bible that you enjoy, should will be the dominating word when it comes to the Bible. Take on a whole other topic where this is also true. Take exercise, right? Take running, for example. Here's the basic conversation. I know what running is, right? I technically know what it is. It's walking fast. Right, so I know running. Then there's the second conversation. I know that it's a reliable form of exercise. I know that when I run, that my heart rate goes up and I start to sweat and I know that I get exercise. I know that it's reliable. And I know that I feel better. I know that the practical nature of it. I know that stress is reduced. I know that I sleep better, all that, when I run regularly. Yeah, I hate running. <laughs> is anybody with me that... the and the thing is, is it's not that I hate exercise. If, if you put a soccer ball at my feet or you put a Frisbee in my hand, I'll run for an hour or two without even thinking about it. Right? In fact, the last couple days, I've been speaking at uh, the Lutheran Bible College up in Plymouth. And on Sunday night when I spoke, I kind of used the same statement and a bunch of students said, you want to play ultimate tomorrow? 
And so I got to tell you, I'm like wicked sore right now because we went and played ultimate for an hour, hour and a half yesterday afternoon. And I'm playing with people that are less than half my age, right? Which is just mean. And, but we ran and we ran and we ran and, and you're, you're not thinking about the fact that you're running. If you find a form of exercise that you like, if you're somebody who likes to run, then running's not a chore. If you like to go for long bike rides, biking's not a chore. If you like to play soccer, you like to play tennis, you like to play pickleball, you like to play ultimate frisbee, you find a form of exercise that you like and you're going to be more consistent with it. But most people don't have a way of reading the Bible that they enjoy. And so we've got about 25 minutes left and I want to share with you a few of the tips that I've learned over the last 25, 30 years that have helped me make that shift that I believe are the most important for making that shift to starting that journey of moving from should to want. And the first one is we need to start reading the Bible relationally, not informationally. When we read the Bible, if you want to enjoy the Bible, if you want to have a long lasting, life-giving relationship with God through His Word, we need to start shifting our primary motivation for going to the Bible from learning what God wants us to know so we can do what God wants us to do to hanging out with Him, to being with Him, to being in His presence. And because this is the only book that has ever been written with the sole purpose of drawing into a relationship with its author. The purpose of this book is relationship, not information. Ever since I was a kid, we, we, we talk in terms of information without even really realizing it. From the, the, the first memory I can remember about how somebody talked about the Bible was like in a first or second grade Sunday school class when somebody said, think of the Bible as an acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> and the most common analogy that I've heard since then I've heard it in children's ministry, I've heard it in youth ministry, I've heard adults talk about this, I've heard families talk about this, use the analogy. And is there anybody here who's ever heard the analogy that the Bible is like the owner's manual for life? It's like the owner's manual of your car, but for life. Has anybody ever heard that analogy before? Okay, here's what I would like to beg of you. I would like to beg you never, ever to use that analogy again. It's a horrible analogy. Now, I'm glad I've got an owner's manual for my car. Right? In fact, a few weeks ago, one of the um, turn signal lights went out, and I went to the owner's manual to figure out what size bulb I needed and where it was and how to get the compartment. I, I was very happy I had the owner's manual. If I need to know maintenance intervals or I need to know tire size, or I need to know some of this, then I'm, I'm very, very glad that I have an owner's manual. So let me ask you, is there anybody in this room who's ever longed to fall in love with the author of their owner's manual? Nobody? Have you ever even thought about who wrote it? Have you ever even wanted to meet them? Do you care at all? If we approach the Bible like it's the owner's manual for life, then we're, we're going there. Our first mindset is, what do I need to learn from it? What is the piece of information that I need? I was sharing this with a group of adults one time that were probably 300 or so in a room, and I asked that question, anybody ever long to fall in love with the author of their owner's manual? And this lady in the middle goes, 
which I thought was weird. So I just, I said, I've never heard that before. Tell me more, ma'am. And she said, see that guy leaning against the wall over there who's kind of looking sheepishly away? And I said, yeah. She goes, that's my husband. He writes owner's manuals. <laughs> I'm like, all right, other than her, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but it was something that we've got this, inform- and I'm not saying there's not information in there. There's information in the Bible. But the purpose of going to it is not just to glean this information. Let's, let's use it. So I'm going to take Brian Goldie, for example. Brian and I have met a handful of times. We've emailed a little bit. We've talked on the phone. We've had some Zoom conversations. And I think that if he moved to Seattle or I moved to uh, Minneapolis, I'm thinking that we would become friends. Got some same things in common, some of the same interests. We just get along. So let's just say that Brian and I, I move to Minneapolis and I decide that I, uh, that, or we decide that we're going to get together for a cup of coffee once a week before work. Over the course of the weeks to come, would Brian and I learn some information about each other? Would that happen? Would we learn some information about each other? Sure. We, have we always lived in Minneapolis? What brought us to Minneapolis? Have, you know, our, what sports do we like? What teams do we follow? What music do we listen to? What movies do we like? What restaurants do we like? How did we meet our wives? How old are our kids? What are their names? There's some things that we, don't, that we would learn information about each other. So let's just pretend that week one, we get to the coffee shop, I say, hey, Brian, how's it going? Good. Hey, Keith, how are you doing? Good. Okay, so we sit down with our coffee. And then the first thing I do is I pull out my notepad. And written across the top of the notepad, it says 48 things I need to know about Brian for him to be my friend. So how long have you lived in Minneapolis? What brought you here? What's your wife's name? What are your kids' names? How old are they? Do you like sports? What sports do you like? What teams do you follow? What music did you last listen to? What album should I buy next? (laughs) Now, Brian's a polite guy. He'd probably answer some of the questions. What's the chance of Brian showing up week two? (laughs) Not real high, right? I'd text him and I'd be like, hey, Brian, I had a great time last week. Are we on for tomorrow morning? He'd text back, oh, sorry, man, something came up. I'm busy forever, right? (laughs) But don't we do that to God all the time? We open up our Bible and we open up our devotional book and we read the little scripture we're supposed to read and we read the little devotional and there are some questions we're supposed to answer and we get to the last question and we've answered the questions for the day, so we must be done. And we close the devotional book and we close the Bible and we pray, dear Lord, please help me remember and apply what it is that I've learned today and we don't. Sometimes I think we leave our time with God having never been with God at all. So another thing that I heard from the time I was young, and I still find it prevalent in the church today, God has something to teach you every day. Has anybody ever heard that phrase? God has something to teach you every day? Every day? It's not true. God does not have something to teach you every day. Now, do not hear what I am not saying. I'm not saying he doesn't have anything to teach you. I'm not saying that he doesn't have something for you every day. But sometimes I think that he wants us to read this and just enjoy the read. If you read the Bible and you haven't written down an application point for that day, 
but you've enjoyed being, spending time with God, you have not wasted your time. Let me ask you this. Is God or is God not our Heavenly Father? Is He? Yes or no? Not, re- not rhetorical. Yes or no? Is He our Heavenly Father? Yes, He is? Okay. So if He's our Heavenly Father, so I've got three kids. My wife and I, this has never happened. And t- tell me, maybe this has happened in your house where your parents have sat you down. I've never sat my kids down at the table and said, kids, your mother and I need to talk with you. We've had a discussion, and we have a lot to teach you. We have some things we need to discipline you on, and so there will be no more playing. We will not enjoy our time with you anymore. We will not play. You can play with each other. You can play with your friends, not with us. You can come to us occasionally for comfort and instruction, not for playing. That conversation has never happened. I can't imagine any parent ever having that conversation. So why is it that we think that every time we get together with God, he's got something to teach us or instruct us on or correct us on or maybe hopefully comfort us with? Does all of that happen? Yes, he's a parent. All of that happens. Yes, you will learn things. Yes, you will be corrected. Your thoughts will be corrected. Yes, you will be comforted. Yes, you will receive instruction. All of that will happen. But I think sometimes he just wants us to read and enjoy the read. If you read the Bible and you enjoy it and you don't learn anything, you have not wasted your time. It's not just the good book. It's a good book. It's really good. I mean, take the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. From a story perspective, aren't we talking about four different accounts of 13 guys on a three-year road trip? That's the story. 13 guys on a three-year road trip, one of them happened to claim to be God and save the world. That's kind of big. That's a good story. And even the most serious biblical scholars will tell you that somewhere between a quarter and a third, maybe even up to a half of the disciples were teenagers. Hello? I was a youth pastor. I've been on road trips with teenagers. Crazy stuff happens. One of my favorite things about presenting the Gospel of John is watching how frequently people laugh. If I did another probably six or seven minutes past what I did, some of you would have laughed out loud because there's some funny things in there. We'll look at some of, some of the stories in the Gospel of John tomorrow. But to approach the Bible with the primary purpose of knowing God, of being with Him, of being in His presence. Think about the people in your life that you've learned the most from, that have corrected you appropriately, who can see when something is off and ask you about it right away, who have comforted you the best. Aren't those also the people that you've just like watched a ball game with or shared a pizza with or gone out for milkshakes with or gone to the park with? Aren't they people that you're in the deepest relationship with? If you had somebody in your life that every single time you got together with them, they said, oh, here's what I need to teach you today, you would quickly make excuses not to spend time with them. (laughs) And yet so often that's how we view God. We need to shift our mindset from reading informationally to reading relationally. The second, is there anybody here who ever struggles with their mind wandering when they read the Bible? Right? Anybody not like to raise their hand in public? Okay. Yeah, I found that this is a problem that is nearly universal. 
that, pay, that very few people don't struggle with this. And I don't know about you, but is it ever really, really frustrating that you can't focus for more than a few paragraphs on the Bible, but you could sit down and read a novel for two hours and completely ignore all responsibility? <laughs> and it was something that I found so many people struggle with this, and I had struggled with it even after I had internalized Philippians, even after I had internalized the Gospel of John, even after I had started presenting the Gospel of John. I knew how amazing and awesome the Bible is. I was still struggling on a daily basis, on a regular basis, with my mind just being all over the place. And so I would, you know, I would start, my mind would start to wander, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to start over, and I'm going to focus. I am going to concentrate. I am going to be present. I am going to be here. Squirrel, right? And then, oh, and it was just frustrating. And I had one day when I had a particularly horrible quiet time, and I, I just couldn't get more than, not just a page or two, I couldn't get a paragraph or two. It was about my mind being all over the place. And it, after trying for five or ten minutes, I just closed my Bible. I was driving off to my next appointment, and I was just venting to God. Just like, God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I focus? I love you. I love your church. I love so many things about it. And I, and I, know, your word, I know I need to be in your word, and I just can't focus. What is wrong with me? And at one point, I stopped to inhale, and God said, I'd like to talk now. And, and so he gave me this, this picture, this vision in my head that has forever helped me with this. So as frightened as you are right now, go with me into my brain. I was a running back on a football team in this vision. We're on the 20-yard line, had 80 yards to go. I knew that I was getting the ball. I'd done everything that I was supposed to do. I had been at practice. I was in shape. I had memorized the playbook. I knew exactly which way the quarterback was going to turn. I knew where the hole was going to be, what blockers I was going to follow. And I had visualized the end zone. I could see the crowd, everything. Sure enough, the ball gets snapped. The quarterback turns exactly as I'm expecting. There's the hole, exactly where I'm expecting. I run through it. There are my blockers, exactly where I'm expecting. And I'm following them down. And I get 12 yards down. And I get 17 yards down. I get 29 yards down. And then, bam, I get leveled. And I'm laying there on the ground. Stars are swirling around. And I'm just mumbling to myself. Why am I not in the end zone? I'd kind of like to be in the end zone. The end zone would be awesome. I pictured the end zone this hurts, right? And, and a buddy comes over to help me up, and he hears me mumbling these questions, and he says, well, hey man, there is somebody playing defense. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that every single time you pick this up, there's somebody playing defense? There's somebody who's trying to actively make sure that you don't like it. The attack is on. It doesn't feel like an attack because we're in our room or we're in our living room or somewhere and it's quiet and we're reading and it doesn't feel like there's an attack, but there's an attack that's going on. Because here's the deal. If, if Satan can convince you and me that reading the Bible is either a waste of time, it's not practical, we don't have time to do it, or our favorite author is a way better author than God then he's won a pretty big battle, don't you think? I mean, the last, thing, the last thing that the enemy wants is for 150 to 200 high school students to have a regular, daily, enjoyable, life-giving relationship with God through His Word. 
Because if so, you're dangerous. And so the attack starts. It's like, I mean, the, it's like the pregame smack talk before a big game. It starts before you ever pick up your Bible. The first attack is, have you seen your schedule? You don't have time for this. Are you kidding me? You do not have time to read the Bible this week. No way. And then the next attack. Well, you were bored last time. You don't remember what you read last time. Why don't you just leave it to your teachers? You don't, you're never going to get it. And then the distractions, even when you're reading the Bible, keep coming at you. Anybody in this room play sports where you play on defense? Okay, defenders on soccer, I don't care whether it's soccer, whether your primary is defense on basketball, whether it's football, whether, whatever, whatever it is, whatever your sport is, if you play on defense, if you can get the offense doubting their ability to make progress, isn't your job done? I mean, your job's done for the day. If you get to the place on defense where you have messed with the offensive player's head enough that they are doubting themselves or they're infighting even better, your job's done. The attack starts. I remember, so we have to recognize that there's a defense and we need to have a strategy for beating the defense. I remember hearing an interview with Walter Payton, some uh, football player for the Bears, one of the best of all time, I think, running backs. And I heard an interview with him one time and, and the interview was kind of asking him, interviewer was asking him about his strategy for running. And he said, well, my, my goal isn't just to not get tackled. Obviously, I know that I'm going to get tackled, but when I do get tackled, my strategy is to get up before the person who hit me. He said, he said, when a 245-pound man hits you with everything he's got and you help him up, that messes with people. <laughs> he, has a stra- he had a strategy for beating the defense, and we need to have a strategy. So part of this is mindset, a relational mindset, and recognizing that there is an attack, recognizing that building a habit of reading the Bible isn't going to be easy just because you love Jesus. Just like... Getting in shape is not easy just because you know that exercise is good for you. Right? There's some habit building. There's a, you have to have a strategy. Part of that strategy, here's there the other couple tips I want to share with you today have to do with what do we do when we actually have our Bible in our hands? If you want to start enjoying the Bible more, read more of it. I'm not just talking about read more consistently. I'm saying when, it, when you sit down to read, read bigger chunks at the beginning. Anybody here like movies? Like twisty, turny movies where you don't know who the good guy is and the bad guy is and in the last scene, it was the dog. You're right? Anybody see Knives Out? That was awesome. Um, so anyway, so let's say that I put a movie up here on the screen and at the end of scene one, I push pause, and I say, let's discuss. And then, okay, are we done with that awkward discussion? Okay, and then I push play, and we watch scene two together. And I push pause and say, discuss. How awesome would that be? (laughs) Would you just love that because we could deeply dive into every scene of the movie? (laughs) No, it wouldn't take very long before a couple of the bigger guys in the room would say, Put down the remote, old man. (laughs) Let's watch the movie. After we've watched the movie, I don't mind talking about one character, one scene, one plot twist, the cinematography, the musical score. I don't mind having a detailed conversation, but I kind of want to watch the movie first. 
One of our big problems with why we don't enjoy the Bible is because we study the Bible like we're studying the scenes of a movie we've never watched. And so we know what the scene is about. We've picked apart the scene. And we have no idea what that movie, that book, is about. When we read more, we start to get some of that context. Let me ask you, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. I want you to do something. I want you to raise your hand and keep your hand up if you've ever heard that verse before. If you've ever heard that, raise your hand and keep your hand up in the air. Okay, now I want you to keep your hand up in the air if you can tell me what book of the Bible that's in. Anybody? Shout it out. Nope. Nope. Not Acts. Second Timothy. It's in Second Timothy 4. It's in the last letter. Thank you for being bold, by the way, and saying something. It's very rare that I have somebody get it. One of the most famous verses in Scripture. And we've heard sermons on it. We've seen People talk about it. We've heard it brought into things. We've, people, sports teams will talk about finishing the fight. I mean, I've heard this in so many different contexts, and yet we don't know the context. Paul spent a lot of time in prison. A lot of his letters were written from prison. This is the only one where he said, the time has come for my departure, where he knew that he wasn't getting out. When he was on death row, and indeed, 2 Timothy, we have no other letters from him after that. And it's in halfway through the last chapter of the last letter. And oh, by the way, when you read 2 Timothy, you're eavesdropping. He didn't write it for you. Now, obviously, in God's sovereignty, he did, and Timothy decided to share it. But he didn't write to the church in Philippi. He didn't write to the churches in Galatia. He wrote to Timothy, my dear son. And he's writing to this young man that is now a pastor that he mentored, that traveled with him, that is now one of his best friends. And he says, I want to see you. Come to me quickly, for the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You read 2 Timothy will take about 12 minutes to read it. Read 2 Timothy every day for the next month. You'll never read that verse again the same. It'll be transforming. Anything that, you, anything that you naturally and enjoyably have learned in your life, you have learned from the general to the specific. You did not learn anything from the specific to the specific to the specific to the specific. You learned from the general to the specific. I don't care whether it's music, any musicians in the room. Okay? So when you learn a new song, like if I was going to get, we were going to get together and I had my guitar and you had your guitar or piano or whatever and we were going to learn a new song, would the first step be that we, I would show you the first measure of that song and once we had it nailed down, I would show you the second measure? Is that the way you learn music? No, I'd probably play you the song. <laughs> and then we would play it together. And then we, we might work on some things later, some details, some harder parts, and some riffs, and different things. We might have to do some of that. But that's not going to be the starting point. I've mentioned that I, I grew up playing soccer. I love soccer. Any soccer players in the room? Okay, so there are a handful of soccer players in the room. So if the, if the soccer players got together, we could have a conversation about the difference between a four-man a four back, a diamond defense, a five-man uh, five back, an arc defense, flat defense, when you put two men up front, when you put one, when you put three, what's the strategy of each? Those of you that don't play soccer, I just sounded like the adults in a Charlie Brown cartoon. 
right? Wah, 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 wah. I should probably start with 11 guys here, 11 guys here, no hands, right? And then we can break it down. The details of when you want to play five men, four men, or a diamond in the back, when you, when you want to do that, that's important for high-level soccer. It's just not the first conversation. Something that dawned on me as I was reading Philippians, as I was reading the Gospel of John, that I should have known a long time ago, because my background is not Bible, actually. I don't have an MDiv. I don't have a Bible degree. My background is in psychology. My master's is in counseling. I've always been fascinated with how the brain works. And I realized that when you line up how we study the Bible with how our brain is actually wired to work, we remember it better and we enjoy it more. And our brain is wired to work from the general to the specific. I'm going to end with this thought, and I might share a couple more before we dive into John tomorrow. I might share a couple more tips that I haven't gotten to. But I want to end with this piece today. There was a study done in reading, or a study about reading that was done that showed that it takes about 10 minutes of reading anything before your brain naturally kicks into that storytelling mode, that mode where you start to enjoy what you read, that mode where you start to see the characters, hear the voices, all that. You know, that experience when, have you ever read a novel and then seen the movie based on the novel? You ever had that experience? And the casting director's always an idiot, right? True? I mean, am I the only one who's ever audibly said at a movie screen, are you kidding? Right? That person was tall or short or blonde hair, black hair, whatever. And uh, it takes about 10 minutes of reading before your brain gets into that space. So I'm going to hang that on the hook right here for a second. And now I want to walk through the three most common ways that people read the Bible. This covers 90 to 95% of the ways that people read the Bible. Number one, by far worldwide, is reading using a devotional book. We've got some sort of passage of Scripture you're supposed to read, a little commentary on it, some questions, different things. It can be on a book of the Bible. It can be on a person. It can be on a topic or a theme, right? A devotional book. The average section of Scripture in a devotional book will take you between 30 and 60 seconds to read. The second most common way that people read the Bible is how I was raised, chapter a day. The average chapter of Scripture read out loud at a normal rate of speed will take you between three and four minutes. For people that want a really, really big reading challenge, they do the Bible in a year. You realize that the average daily reading of a one-year Bible plan is about 11 minutes, sometimes 12. Between 11 and 12 minutes. Most audio Bibles, like even the ones with like animal noises and wind and weather and all that kind of stuff, are between 70 and 75 hours. You divide that by 365, you're at about 11 minutes. 11 to 12. Remember what I just had on this hook right here? A vast majority of people who read the Bible regularly never even come close to getting to the place where their brains would start to enjoy it. And the people that do quit within a minute or two. It was mind-boggling when I realized, with everything that I knew about learning and memory and how the brain works, when, it, when I realized that for a vast majority of people who read the Bible, we read in such a way that we're actually training our brains not to enjoy it. I'm not saying that we're not learning anything, we don't ever see anything interesting, it doesn't make a difference. I'm not saying that. I'm saying from a enjoying it, from that fourth conversation, 
If you want to enjoy what you're reading, read more. Read bigger chunks. Read a whole book. If it's a short book, read a, read a whole book. If it's a bigger book, if it's John or it's Genesis or something like that where you can't read it in one sitting typically, read for an amount of time instead of an amount of content. Read for 20 minutes instead of saying, I'm going to read four chapters or I'm going to read five chapters. If you say, I'm going to read four chapters or five chapters, as soon as you're done with chapter one, your brain will say, I have to get through four more chapters before I can be done. If you say, I'm going to read for 20 minutes, you look at the clock and it's been 10, you say, I get to read for 10 more minutes because you've already set aside that time. And your brain is in a totally different space and you start to enjoy what you read. When we read relationally and we have a, recognize that there's a defense there and part of our strategy for beating the defense is we read more of it. We'll start to enjoy the Bible more and more. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, we've just got two minutes before we're going to um, go. They're going to put a slide up here because tomorrow one of the things that I want to do is to be able to answer any questions that you have. If you've got questions about, hey, I struggle with this when it comes to the Bible. I, what, what about this when it comes to the Bible? If, if you've got questions about anything that you struggle with when it comes to the Bible, I want to make sure that I'm not just kind of talking, but that I'm actually answering questions that you have. And so, um, so you can... So I'm just going to get, before I dismiss you, I'm just going to give you just one or two minutes to either write that down or take a picture of that. You can send, send that and they'll kind of compile some of those and, um, and send that to me tomorrow. Then I want to start out tomorrow looking at just a couple more tips and then looking at the, uh, the Gospel of John and just some of, the, some of the stories from there and what it has. Rumor has it when a bell goes off in a high school, that means something different is supposed to happen. So I'm going to pray for us and then dismiss you, and I'll be out in the lobby. I'd love to chat with you if you've got some time before passing. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the students here at the school. I thank you for the teachers, the administrators, the people that serve this next generation here at this school. I pray for each of us that we would pursue you through your word relationally that yes when you've got something to teach us we would be ready to learn when you've got something that you need to correct in our thinking that we would be ready to be corrected if you can offer us words of comfort we will take it but God if you just want us some days to just enjoy the read I pray that we can just enjoy your presence I pray for this rest of this day thank you for the beautiful sunshine outside pray that we would enjoy our conversations with each other as well, that we would learn what we need to learn and we would laugh together and, and enjoy being together. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.